welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Georgie Oldfield, a leading physiotherapist in the UK who specializes in the treatment of chronic pain using an approach that is evidence-based, educational, and focused on self-empowerment. Welcome. Thank you. Well, Georgie, welcome to the show. Um, I've known Georgie for a while, probably at least six or seven years, and she is a leading physiotherapist and United Kingdom specialist, and she and she's been a driving force in this whole chronic pain movement of how to treat it correctly, which is a combined multidisciplinary approach, but largely self-directed, largely self-directed in empowering patients to take care of themselves. So she's done what I've always wanted to do. She's actually sees patients. She helps them get better. She also trains other practitioners to do this, which is something that's hard to actually get the bandwidth to do, and she did it. So her company is called SERPA, Stress Illness Recover Practitioners Association. And she had these training programs going. And I think she was the first one in the United Kingdom to do this. Is that right, Georgie? Yes, yes. So, and welcome to the show. And George, I'll let you continue to introduce yourself. And she did do a TED Talk in 2019. She has been the organizer of two conferences in England where a bunch of us from around the world came and gathered. And I think those conferences were just really key in helping this whole process move forward of how to better understand and treat chronic pain. It was really, and the only reason we didn't do it this year was because of COVID. Yes. So anyway, so Georgie, welcome. And uh, so can you tell us, you're a physical therapist, correct? Mm-hmm. I am. And your practices, you said two hours north of London is where you are at? About a two-hour train journey, yes. Fast train. <laughs> okay. And so I... I don't know how we got to know each other, but basically, what was the first conference we did? What year was that? The first conference in London was 2015. 2015. Mm, And so Georgie did an incredible job organizing it. We had about 10 speakers. Everyone Mm -hmm. everyone was leaders in their field. There's some incredible patient stories, which really inspired everybody. Mm. And so I'm just curious, when did you come to this approach about more of the multidisciplinary, multi-pronged approach to chronic pain? Um, Well, I think it was over a period of time, as it often is, isn't it, with people? Um, As you're beginning to, for me, it was definitely about beginning to question what was going on with my patients. Um, You know, why so many people would come having said that they'd woken up with pain uh, and blame it on the pillow or the mattress that they'd slept with for months or years. Um, people who came with a, uh, a prolapse disc or severe degeneration, and I didn't know the uh, evidence at that point. And I was thinking, well, if this is a uh, disc degeneration or um, prolapse disc or whatever, then how come you've recovered so quickly from my very gentle treatments? Because I'd already started going through some of the, like learning acupuncture, um, and various sort of moving towards more complementary therapies, really. Right. Um, and it was really about beginning to notice that and just starting to question so much and seeing some um, really amazing results, but not knowing why they'd recovered. And we've seen people struggling and wonder why they were struggling. I used to have recurring pains myself, so neck pain, back pain, sciatica, whatever. 
And uh, when I left the National Health Service back in 2005, um, then I was more frequently having symptoms and really didn't understand why. Uh, I just thought that I was getting older. So you started. So you started out with really pretty much a traditional physical therapy practice. Was how it all started. Um, sort of. Um, my initial um, specialism when I qualified and within a few years was respiratory physiotherapy. So I actually wait, worked. Wait, in I'm sorry. Was what? Respiratory. So I knew, that... I was a physiotherapy. I was in charge of the physio learning about respiratory care and was working in intensive care, plastic surgery, etc. Um, and so that then changed when I had my kids and I didn't want to be leaving an apartment. I wanted to go um, to go part time. So that's when I started still in the NHS and then over the years became more interested in pain. I was treating people at home. There was very little we could do for them in their own homes. Right. Um, and gradually, through a long story short, I became more and more interested in finding ways to help people with pain. And as I began doing that more, I wanted to set my own clinic up because I was getting some really good results, right. not able to treat the sort of patients I wanted in the NHS. When you first started seeing these really good results, could you, did you ever feel for what you were doing that seemed to bring the result, re, results about? Part of it, especially when I set up on my own, is I realized I was giving them more time, time rather than the short period of time I had with people in the NHS. Right. They had more time, they were being listened to, they were relaxing. So I was beginning to be aware that this was definitely helping. I wouldn't say I was already, work I was still working as a conventional physio at the time, but I was working as a more, um, as a physio starting to integrate other um, therapies. So you, so you actually listen to your patients? Yes. That's a novel idea. <laughs> So, okay. Well, I mean, the reason why it's so interesting right now, because, you know, the whole, my project is, you know, direct your own care, but it's about safety versus threat. And the number one place that you have to create safety is with the provider patient relationship, physical yeah. therapist, patient, doctor, patient, chiropractor, patient. So if you can't still, if you can't feel safe with your healthcare practitioner, where are you going to feel safe? And so that's fascinating that, that, and so one of the things, at least in America, we think we could probably solve the healthcare crisis. If you increase the reimbursements by double or triple for talking to the patients, you would make a dramatic dent in healthcare. So that's really interesting. So you just started to notice that you had more time, no special yeah. technique, just simply spending more time with the patients was helpful. And that they were, felt that they were being listened to. Right. And then, then it was about questioning, questioning what I was seeing, the fact right. that the pictures weren't, weren't matching. And then what's happened in the last 10 years, the neuroscience is profoundly supporting this concept of safety versus threat. Absolutely. And when you're under threat, you have an inflammatory response, you increase the nerve conduction, you change the blood supply to all different parts of your body. <clears throat> and so threat creates physical symptoms. So you can't really treat a patient separate from his or her environment. Because you respond to the environment, you create mental or physical symptoms. So if you're treating symptoms and not dealing with the root cause of the actual patient, it doesn't work. How did you evolve into more of the um, John Sarno approach, Schubner, Clark? Is that through the, how did you meet them or how did that evolve? It evolved because initially after leaving NHS, I woke up one morning with severe sciatica and I couldn't put my shoes on for a few weeks. Okay. Um, 
And then I'd heard um, about a complementary therapy where, uh, they, or I was advised to, um, when I was querying about a client, somebody said, have you considered uh, something called craniosacral therapy that uses somato-emotional release? Um, and I observed this lady treating one of my clients, and I was thinking, yeah, that I can really get that. And the other lady, the patient, didn't and never went back. But I was right. sitting there with sciatica, and I said, can I come and see you? And this was the first person you'd ever said to me, and I never said it before, what's going on in your life? Okay. And the fact was, I'd just left the National Health Service. I'd left my monthly salary. Um, I wasn't paying into my NHS pension anymore. And my husband's self-employed. So, yes, okay. I was stressed. And it, that showed when, and literally within a couple of treatments, it had settled. But that was an acute exacerbation, obviously. And right. then I was reading and reading and chatting to that therapist and other therapists and similar work. And eventually I just came across Dr. Sarno's book. The first one, I think, was um, Healing Back Pain. Right, um, Dr. Sarno. Dr. Sarno's book, right. absolutely. And I was reading it. I got halfway through and then woke up one morning with neck pain. Okay. I knew exactly what was going on as to why I had neck pain. But right. I haven't reached the point in the book to know what to do about it. Right. So I had to carry on, didn't have a chance to read the rest of the book. But when that situation settled, within an hour of it settling, my neck pain had gone. So wow. that was a real epiphany <clears throat> for me, reading this book, the initial book. Can you explain to the audience <clears throat> from your perspective um, that how, why that works? In other words, this is not a psychological imaginary pain. It, you know, your environment translates into physical chemical changes. So can you give us your perspective about this connection between stress and physical symptoms? I think in a, in a simplistic way, it's about not dealing, not acknowledging, expressing emotions. So either avoiding emotions day to day because we're so busy, we just keep busy, busy, busy and uh, distract ourselves. Um, or we've learned to repress emotions. Right. Maybe growing up because we learned to cope and deal with whatever was going on in our childhood. Um, and therefore, it's about the more it's like I always feel like emotions are like energy in motion. And if you feel like if you're really angry, you can really feel that in that energy, can't you? And right. yet, more often than not, unlike animals who actually might be triggered, the fight or flight triggered, and they'll run away and expend that energy, we're triggered constantly. Right. the day by other people by emails by the way we're thinking and that triggers this reaction but we generally don't know how important it is to acknowledge and express emotions um, or to move and release them in some way and therefore often then it can manifest in symptoms right i i mean the um my my thinking has changed dramatically in the last two years because we think of stress in terms of sort of psychological terms but it's just your body's reaction to the environment i mean it's a whole Absolutely. body reaction to what's going on in your life and the other thing has become very clear there's lots of literature on this now about obsessive thought patterns about repressed emotions that threat is threat was a physical threat or mental threat so whether it's a virus bacteria or a bully or a boss those are physical threats or um unpleasant thoughts and emotions and repressed thoughts and emotions are even a bigger threat than a an, an experienced threat and so your body processes this in the same way, you get the same chemical reaction. And then when it's sustained, of course, you get all these physical symptoms. Do you see, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because obviously you divide a framework of thinking that 
developed in your mind that you started to present to your patients. Then you started to train practitioners. And, and in the second podcast, we're talking about what you're offering practitioners and what you're training them to do. Could you, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit and, and just describe your current offering that what SERPA is. I mean, what, what, what is that? And, and how do, the, because there's a framework or philosophy behind that that's very powerful. And so I'm just curious uh, how to um, conceptualize SERPA. Well, SERPA came about because I was the only person in the UK that I knew who understood this approach. And okay. so from initially going over to see Dr. Sano in 2007 and then back to a conference that Dr. Howard Schubiner um, set up initially, and going back to these conferences in the United States, then I realized that actually in order to work as a physiotherapist, I needed to have my peers, uh, peers around me here as well. Um, so you had, you had what? Um, as a physiotherapist, I needed to actually demonstrate that I had peer support and training in this field. Okay. Hence, returning to the States for conferences, um, you know, sitting in with Dr. Sana, Dr. Schubiner, et cetera. And there, the evidence, there needs to be the evidence base as well. But I was feeling very isolated here in the UK and there was nobody that I could find in Europe either. Right. So SERPA came about because after the second conference in 2012, I started thinking the end, as a way to raise awareness and a way to develop peers for me and for me to be able to refer on people on, um, I would set up um, SERPA, which is a training organization for health professionals. What year was so, that? Sorry? What year was that? 2010. So 10 okay. years now. So, so you did it. I did it. So, <laughs> and it was incredibly challenging. And I, I was under a lot of stress leading up to that point, but I did find a couple of people who um, came, with, came into, with me to help initially to set up um, this organization and were with me when we set up the first two trainings anyway. Um, and that and, meant that we could then start getting out there and reaching out to people who were interested, health professionals who were interested in integrating this work as well. And it's sort of gone on from there um, with the last few years moving the training online. Right. And this ballpark, if you look at the last 10 years or so, how many a ballpark, how many practitioners have you trained? Do, do you, are you we, aware of that? We've number? got getting on for 200 now. 200 oh, you are. 200. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. So physically first until, I can't remember, I think it was about two, two years ago that we moved the training online. And okay. part of that was because I was being asked by people. There were people coming from Europe and America to go on the course, but I was being asked, and Australia actually, but I was being asked by people because there wasn't any other training at that time, you know, whether we could move it online. In the end, the decision was made for me because I had elderly parents who were getting more frail and having to travel around more, and I wanted to be able to. I just thought one, one course I was running, what happens if something happens and I can't run this course? Right. Um, and we started looking into training some of the more experienced practitioners, um, but for various reasons, those individuals um, were right, unable to... Uh, get involved in the training in the end so it was the best and in fact it was the best thing it's not just freed us up but it's allowed us to do so much of what we were practitioners were wanting but we just didn't have the time to provide which is all of the member benefits we do now like talking to people like you David on our uh, you know continual professional development days and we have lots of webinars and um, a, a lot of things that we can provide support for people now moving forward. 
So I want to I want to switch the topic here just a little bit. So I don't, I don't want to rant too much, but I'm going to say a couple <laughs> things. And you, you and I agree on this: is that mainstream medicine is simply not safe anymore. We're we're offering random simplistic treatments that have been documented to be ineffective. Spine surgery has a 20% success rate for back pain. It has a 40% failure rate. It has double the failure rate than it does a success rate. So um, when we say failure, it means worse. So 20% chance of getting better, 40% chance of getting worse. The data says it doesn't work, but we still keep doing the surgery. So when you call it complementary medicine, I do object to that because what we call complementary medicine, in other words, listening, talking to patients in healing, that is mainstream medicine. It's mainstream medicine that's way off base, way off base. And so the thing that as a surgeon has been fascinating for me is that when I look at things like acupuncture, massage, and EMDR, I used to think this is the craziest thing in the world. This is nuts. <laughs> but what it does, actually, you're, you're directly stimulating the vagus nerve, which is mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory. You're calming things down. And the other thing is becoming incredibly clear that listening by itself, just listening, helps people feel safe, which changes the body's chemistry. And then as you well know, you and I have had the same experience is that there's been a lot of resistance to what you do. So I actually quit my practice in 2019 to do this full time. And so what I'm excited about your efforts is that you put this into action in 2010. It takes a lot of courage and conviction because you it's not been particularly an easy road for you bucking quote traditional medicine, right? No, um, but the change over the last 10 years, I think or 13 years since I started this, uh, there's definitely been a change and much more, and because there's more evidence based now as well, isn't there? Um, right. And that includes the adverse childhood experiences studies, um, as well as the pain, pain science. I mean, there's so much more now that we can demonstrate the evidence base, um, and therefore it's easier now for people to be able to see. It's about, I think, it's more about raising awareness of the evidence because so often right. it takes 20 years before the evidence actually reaches the clinical interface well what's fascinating right now about the evidence that we're talking about it's been in the medical literature for over 30 years this is not new news no. so you're you're exactly right so as far as this the changes you've seen in england um i'm just curious some of the things that you have seen and if it wasn't for you, I mean, honestly, you started the efforts and it's going to spread out. But what are some of the changes that you've seen in your country with this with this approach? And before I say that, how would you encapsulate your approach in one or two sentences? So you or Georgie, you're trying to bring a concept into the world. What's that concept? Oh, I would have been able to tell you this a few years ago, actually, because I did start <laughs> thinking about how we do this. I haven't thought about it for a while. Um, Helping people um, resolve persistent symptoms, chronic pain, uh, but beginning to recognize that they are persistent because they're part of the fight or flight response. And that the more we can actually boost the relaxation response and help people work on the underlying causes of the pain rather than just focusing on the symptom, the more we're able to actually help people resolve. Right. Well, we agree the same thing because I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm sorry to put you on the spot there. I couldn't resist. Sorry. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's insane. <laughs> we treat all the, I mean, why, where do symptoms come from? Okay, so you have an autoimmune disorder, which are, is horrible. Your whole body's on fire. You have physical destruction of the joints. That doesn't just happen. Mm. I mean, you take lupus, your whole body gets destroyed. 
rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, all these things don't just happen. Why do they happen? Right? I mean, they don't, they don't just happen. And we know when you're under chronic stress, people die earlier, seven years earlier. You get cancer, heart disease, all sorts of stuff happens under chronic stress. So that's not psychological when you're dying. I mean, your, your body's full of inflammatory chemicals. They're chewing up the tissues actively and people die. They die seven years. People in chronic pain die in the average seven years earlier than the average person. So the, the results are pretty profound and then you go to heart disease, all sorts of stuff. So you have this chronic inflammatory process that just flat out hurts you. So what we're both saying is that you listen, talk to people, you're teaching people to heal themselves. Absolutely. Right. And through education, self-empowerment, working on emotions, understanding themselves better, the history, calming, right. the, calming the inflammatory and the stress response down. Right. So in medicine right now, we're treating these symptoms well, way out on the periphery, where mm. the root cause is how do you as a person respond to your environment? What neurochemical changes are occurring in your body that are resulting in these symptoms? So by talking, listening, helping people calm down, obviously there's physical modalities also. People's, <laughs> let me just rant for a second. I'm on a rant this morning. Well, I mean, no, I think the worst term now ever coming from the medical profession is this medically unexplained symptoms. It's horrible because it's implied there's nothing wrong. Your body's full of infl inflammatory cells, stress chemicals. There's a lot wrong. So these symptoms are completely explained if you look at the body's response to the environment. That's the problem. That's but they're medically unexplained because the medical world at the moment don't understand them. Right. That's the well, challenge. <laughs> but this is high school. But this is also high school physiology. This is not hard. Right. I mean, that's where I, that's where I'm really not happy the medical profession right now because we're out here treating symptoms. They get very negative unquote complementary medicine. They're, they have no data. I mean, the success rate of a spine fusion for back pain is 20%. Yes. There's not one research paper in 60 years that says that it works. So there's an arrogance there that's unexcusable. So let me finish this section off. Just, I, I love your story. And I know what I was at your conference in London that a couple of people stood up and told this story. So do you have one story you can share with us as somebody who represents what happens when you when they work with you? Well, because you've mentioned the first conference, then that was when Marie came to speak, and she was one of my earlier patients, um, okay. somebody who had um, had recurring back pain for um, the previous 10 plus years. Um, and then and she got to the point where for the previous six months, she wasn't able to sleep for more than 20, 30 minutes at a time. She was in absolute agony on lots of high medication, uh, was unable to go out to work anymore. She was using a Zimmer frame to walk around. And she ended up in hospital on a drip. And uh, that, as she said, that was the first time she'd been able to sleep for longer than um, 20, 30 minutes. And she was in a corridor, a hospital corridor, um, on a drip with morphine, et cetera. Wow. Um, and then the consultant said to her, uh, the problem is your muscles are too tight. That's exactly what he said. Your muscles are too tight. <laughs> That's the reason you've got all this pain. So oh she went gosh. home and luckily her husband started Googling muscle tension in bones. And somehow, I'm not sure why, he, he came across my website. So they actually drove down and she, I think we we're about a three hour drive away. And she just lay on the back seat and was in agony all the way down. Um, and basically she, that was her first appointment with me. And we went through the assessment. Um, she hadn't had a scan at that point. 
she had back pain, she had uh, severe sciatica, and she had she couldn't stand up on the toes on one foot, and she had um, a lot of numbness down that same same leg as well. Mm -hmm. um, also lost her ankle reflex. So all you know, quite serious signs. So I explained everything to her, um, but she was she. I think she just had her MRI scan, so we were waiting for the MRI scan to come back. So in the meantime, we just went away ahead with me explaining what she could start with, making sure she had a good understanding. I didn't have my book at that time, um, but I think I gave her one of Dr. Sano's books, um, and just started explaining the concept and what she could start doing herself. And how that linked, and we looked at the timeline of what the stress that she'd had linked with when pain came on. Um, and when she had the scan results that came back, they um, showed a, a massive prolapse disc compressing, <coughs> excuse me, centrally and both exiting S1 nerves. And yet she had symptoms predominantly on one side, not both sides. Right. And she was told she needed urgent surgery. And thankfully, because she'd started to improve already, she um, cancelled. She decided to leave it, and they agreed. Okay, everything's feeling better. And um, she was wonderful. She did a um, a graph and showed the amount of medication she was taking, and over the two months, showed how that reduced alongside the pain levels. Um, and she did amazingly well. Within two months, her pain uh, she was off the medication, and her pain was resolved. She still had some numbness. She still had the uh, uh, hadn't got the reflex back, and she couldn't stand on her toes. But we realized that actually, as we went further, that this was her belief that that prolapse disc must be causing some symptoms. Um, right. And so as she progressed further, she started doing all sorts of things. So she literally regained her life and she only has a tiny little bit of numbness on one side, one toe now. <laughs> How many years ago was that? Oh, um, this was probably 10 years ago. And I'm guessing um, she's still doing well. And she's still, she, we're friends on Facebook now. <laughs> and she lost uh, something like three stone, where she'd been told it was the weight that caused the pain, but she lost pain. She resolved her pain before she lost weight. Um, right. And she started doing all the activities that she'd not done before. And she yeah. still has the same stresses, stressors. Um, and in fact, one got worse. But it was how she was dealing with her environment right. and her life, what was going on, that was actually the main exactly we'll talk about that in the second podcast so yeah so again somebody recommended surgery success rate of that operation for a situation like that's about 20 percent or less the chance mm -hmm. of making it worse is about 40 percent, and she's fine and that's yeah. why you know that's why you and i do what we do we see this all the time yes so so yeah. georgie can you tell um the audience how to access your situation is s-i-r-p-a what's your website Yes, sirpa.org, serpa.org. Okay, and then I'm assuming you have Serpa-based practitioners all over England now? We do, yes, yes, and um, there... over the UK and further afield, actually, yes. Okay, and so also in Europe, from Spain and France, don't you? In Europe, um, yes. We've had people from um, Australia, America, and Europe. On okay. the website are the people who decide to be members, who are we know are actively engaged and are part of our community and they okay. benefit from the um, member support that we provide. So we've only, we've got about 50, I think, listed on the website. We've right. got between 150, 200 who train. Okay. And then you also authored a book too, right? I did. Yes. And that was to actually show that there are some of us in the UK 
side of the Atlantic doing this work. Right. <laughs> so yes, I wrote that in 2014, um, Chronic Pain, Your Key to Recovery. It, I'm sorry, Chronic Pain, Your Key chronic to Recovery. Pain. Yes. So yeah, I read the book. It's, it's an excellent book. So anyway, Georgie, thank you very, very much. And uh, you're welcome. Appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to thank our guest, Georgie Oldfield, for being on the show today and for sharing the evolution of her patient-centered approach to treating chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.